Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Conversational. I'm here today with one of my favorite women in business. I say that to her, Beth Comstock. Um, I'm going to give you a little of her biography, but I is a personal story. It's, she's somebody that I have watched and admired my whole career. And um, it's been it's been really interesting to see, you know, the, the trials and tribulations and just how strong and, and you are. And I think you're just a great example for for women everywhere. Wow. Thanks, Julie. And I'm very excited to have you, you here. So thank you. So Beth's Comstock's mission is to understand what's next, to navigate change and help others do the same, which I love because that's quintessentially Beth. By cultivating a habit of seeking out new ideas, people and places, she has built a career path from storyteller to chief marketer to vice chair of GE. She's the first woman to ever have held that post. And in my humble opinion, she'd have been better if she'd have been running the whole thing. But that's a different story. She has now returned to storytelling as author, speaker, and advisor. As GE's vice chair of business innovation and previously their chief marketing officer, she led efforts to accelerate new growth, to develop digital and clean energy futures, seed new businesses, and enhance the brand value. As the president of Integrated Media at NBC Universal, she oversaw TV ad revenue and new digital efforts, including the early development of Hulu.com, which is one of my favorites because I watch um, several shows on that one. Beth is a director at Nike, a trustee of the National Geographic Society, and former board president of Cooper Hewitt Smithsonian National Design Museum. Her first book just came out five, four or five months ago. No, it was about a year ago, yeah. Oh, a year ago, yeah. 2018, right, a year ago. It's called Imagine It Forward. It's about working and living on the front lines of change. And we're excited to have her here with us. Thank you. Thanks, Julie. Good. I'm looking forward to talking with I you. I know. It's fun. We were trying to catch up a little bit before. Yeah, you always have such good energy, so we I know we'll be energized in this <laughs> we conversation. We come on the air. So as I always do, I always like to get people kind of going way back in the archives of their lives. I, so tell us where you front. Like, where were you born? What did your parents do? Yeah, well, I was born in uh, Morgantown, West Virginia. My father was in dental school, and uh, my parents promptly moved to a small town in Virginia, Winchester, Virginia, which is in the heart of the Shenandoah Valley. And that's where I grew up until I went to college. And I went to school in my home state in Virginia, the College of William & Mary. And so I had your quintessential small town upbringing. It was uh, a time of amazing... uh, creativity, imagination, also of some constraint. Small town, everybody knows your name. It's all about your reputation. I Mm. think I was well-schooled in the art of public relations and marketing because, uh, for one, my mother was a school teacher, and she um, knew everything in her school teacher network. She knew things we were going to do before we even did them. So it was a very, you know, everybody looked out for you, but it also meant there there wasn't a lot of room to, you know, go crazy. What did your dad do? My dad was a dentist. Oh, you said dentist. Yeah, That's he, right. he was a dentist so. when we were growing up, and now both my parents are still there. My, my father, I, he's been a great inspiration. Both my parents have been a great inspiration, but um, my dad was a dentist, and then he um, it turned into an art historian, and now he is an artist. He, he makes really? uh, ceramic pottery based on sort of uh, art of the Shenandoah Valley. So it's been great to see my parents um, kind of forge their own lives of change. Oh, were you an only child? I had a brother. I have a brother and a sister. Uh, older, younger? Where are you? I'm the, the oldest. You're the oldest. Yeah. Yes. See, I'm too. Are you the oldest? Yeah, the oldest. The bossy. The, I think our siblings probably have other names for us beyond bossy. I know for sure they do. <laughs> How many in your family? <laughs> Same. Three. Yeah. I have a younger brother and a younger sister. Yeah, my Same. brother's in the middle of my sister. Same. And um, mm-hmm. I think they... Um, 
I, I was a bit intense, I think it's fair to say. I was your quintessential small-town good girl. Like, there were never enough gold stars for me, yeah. never enough things I could take on, never enough things to do, and I'm sure I, I could have been a really pain-in-the-butt sister. Yeah. that's What did you want to do when you were little? I wanted to do a lot of things. It's funny you ask. I was cleaning out uh, my closet a couple of months ago, and I found these, this old paper. Uh, one I found when I was, I think it was 14. I found the autobiography, my autobiography. So you can imagine at 14, it was riveting. Yes. Absolutely riveting. So much has like, happened. Like, when is Nick going to kiss me or whatever? But yeah. I found this page I absolutely loved. I said, I am ambitious. I want to be 50 different things when I grow up. And I listed not 50, but about a dozen. Luckily, I didn't pursue any of, any of those. I wouldn't have made a bad lawyer. I would have made a bad doctor. Um, but I love that I, at 14, wrote, I am ambitious. I want to be all these different things. I'm still that. Right. So I don't really know what I wanted to be, except I wanted to do something in the world. And I wanted to be, be involved in a lot of different things. Which is amazing, because it's. I imagine it was back in like the 70s, yeah. where women, you know, look, it was coming of age, but they were not, you know, this was the time where women weren't doctors and lawyers in great numbers. Yeah, I mean, my mom had worked as a school teacher. She had taken time off when we were growing up and then went back to work. And I remember it was a bit of a scandal with some of her friends that my mother was working. But she loved working. She loved those kids. I mean, she'd still be teaching today if they didn't have a retirement age. So I I had seen that in my mother. But my parents, they weren't friends with people who had businesses. There weren't big businesses in our small town. If, if, if a woman owned her business, it might have been a floral shop or um, a you know, shoe store or something. It was small business. Right. So I didn't have a touchstone for that. I remember, though, it's funny you asked that question. I remember my first year dorm. I went to the College of William Mary, and I still remember it like it was yesterday, sitting around. You know, you sit around, you're all in your pajamas, sharing mm-hmm. gossip. And I don't know how we got on the subject, but I remember saying, I am going to do it all. And so I think I went to, this would have been 1979, and I think I went there with that explicit view that I'm expected to do all these things. So by then, that was part of the culture, even though I didn't grow up with women like that. There was enough in the zeitgeist, I think, that... You know, I Helen Reddy, I am woman, hear yeah, me roar, roar. all yes. that was in the zeitgeist. So here I was, uh, you know, spring of my freshman year saying, I'm going to do it all. I am going to do it. And what did you end up? What was your would you study? Biology. Biology. Yeah. So thinking that was going to be what, what? going to go to medical school. I oh. thought I was going to go to medical school. I made, minored in anthropology, which I loved, but I didn't know what to do with it. And um, about junior year, I was like, you know, I really don't want to go to medical school. What I want to do is tell stories about science. And so I tried to get into writing programs in my college, and it was very siloed. Like, no, you're a scientist. You can't be a writer. Um, And I started working at a public radio station in Norfolk, Virginia, um, as, you know, just an intern. And it opened my eyes. I I got to do amazing stories. I had this amazing mentor. Her name was Beth also. And she just she gave me a tape recorder and set me free. And she taught me. And I just was smitten by the art of story. So you could have been a... So did you host shows or were you... Well, there I, I did. I, I'm sure I, I actually kept a tape of them. I mean, I, I sounded so green. Um, but then I was like, yeah, I'm going to pursue this. And so I got out of school and I was like, I'm going to be a television reporter. No experience. I had my audio tapes and I had done something at William & Mary that like got on tape. Um, and so I kind I did what, what struggling television reporters do. I started making the rounds at different 
TV stations and really doing horribly. I remember going to apply for a weather person job, Okay, maybe because I was a biologist in Salisbury, Maryland, in the eastern shore of Maryland. I remember driving there and I show up and they put me in front of a green screen. I didn't know what it was Mm -hmm. and I didn't even know how to pronounce the name of the town. Um, needless to say, I didn't get that job. <laughs> so it was I and I I ended up landing a job covering state politics in Richmond, Virginia, for a very small news service. But I didn't have a lot of confidence, and frankly, I didn't have enough patience to understand. You got to pay the dues. You got to do it. I was in love with my then boyfriend, and so I chose a path of marrying him and moving to Washington, D.C., and I ended up working in local public access television. So I got a little bit of a, a more into yeah. it, and that led to a job at NBC and PR. So I never, my career in, um, jur- in on-camera journalism was very, very short <laughs> and lacked any confidence. Uh, uh, I couldn't tell you how little confidence I had. It, well, but you've been on TV a lot since, yeah. as representing yeah, the company. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, it was right. tough. It was tough too. I remember I had a, uh, I had a, I, I, I was determined when I was in Richmond covering the, this House of Delegates that I was going to go work for the local Richmond station. And I don't know where this came from in me, but I, I sent my tape to the um, to the local news director, and I called him every day, and he never talked to me. And finally, he had had it with me. He picked up and he said, "Would you stop calling me? I'm never hiring you. You look like you're 12, and why would I hire anyone who looks like you?" Of course, I was devastated, right. but it really brought out something in me. I'm like, "You don't know me, and I gotta, I gotta get serious." So, in some ways, those those you have this lack of confidence, but then somebody challenges you, and it was like. Okay, I I gotta go and right. kind of I think that I look at that as an important prompt to me. It's it's funny. So we um, we just had uh, I've had uh, done a couple of recordings today for people who listen. I I try to record several in a, at a time. But uh, Dave Morgan was just here and he talked about being in law school and you know it was his dream and his dad and the whole thing and somebody That's funny. looked I don't at think him. Of Dave being in law right? school, right? Oh my gosh, yeah. But he was like. I was in law school and my my law professor or, or I got a job at a great firm. I was the most, you know, heavily paid and like of my friends who graduated and I was, you know, I didn't really love it, but I was making so much money and the partner came to me and he's like, "Yep, yeah, you should probably find another job. This isn't for you." You know, and it was it takes those those moments yeah. of somebody to like challenge you Just- and be like yeah. Nope. What are you made of? Yep. Sorry. Yeah. You know, sometimes shredding the door in your face is what you need right. to open that other one, right. right? So, okay, so then you went to NBC, right? So I ended up going to, working my way into NBC as publicity coordinator. Um, from D.C.? From D.C. From D- DC. Okay. I was working at this public access television station, Wayne's World, back in the day, if anyone yeah. is old enough to have watched the Wayne Wor- <laughs> Wayne's World movie. Um, it was even crazier than Wayne's World, except it wasn't in someone's basement. But... From there, I got I got I kept applying applying to jobs in local TV, and I ended up going to the NBC News Bureau, so it was network news in Washington as a publicity coordinator. Wow, how long did you do that? Uh, I was well, I was there for and then at my career, I, NBC. I was there for a couple years in Washington, and it was um, as it turned out, you know, the the timing worked in my favor, even though it was tough circumstances. GE had just bought NBC. They downsized NBC News pretty dramatically. And in Washington, the PR team I was part of, which I think was six or eight people, ended up being me. And so they downgraded. You know, I became a manager. It was me and an intern in the back of a news bureau tucked away in, like, the filing system. Um, but it was a great introduction for me into the news bureau. And then I, they ended up moving me to New York. And management, right? Yeah. And this sort of yeah. having to... Kind of threw me in. To run and do that. Yeah. Were you... You were still married? This and you were... I, I, That was during the time also I was getting a divorce. So okay. I, at that point I had had a daughter. 
um, and gotten a divorce, and I wasn't even 30. Wow. So, was, so that was where you and did you your daughter live with you? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I I it, it was I it's one of those moments of you know kind of defining moments. I, I it is a defining moment for me. Yeah. One I realized I couldn't be married. I, yeah. You know, he was a really just nice wasn't. man. It just I I wasn't destined for that path at mm-hmm. that time. And here I was with a young mother, and so it was a very traumatic decision for all of us. Mm-hmm. One I felt, you know, bad about, liberated about, had all kinds of mixed emotions, but that was the path we chose. And so then eventually NBC says, we want to move you to New York. And so me, little kid, you know, go, like she was probably three when we moved to New York, didn't have any family, had some friends. This is the 80s? Sometimes. Um this would have been the 80s. Yeah. yeah. Um and the mid the mid to late 80s. And um so it was um it was one of those moments of just going I'm going to do this. I don't know what the outcome is. I have no choice but to make this work. I don't know what work means. I don't know. I had no distinct definition of mm-hmm. success. I just have to make this work. It was no longer about me. I had a daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember um, we were leaving Washington. You know, I was like the Beverly Hillbillies, all my stuff in the back of the car. And I think George Bush first was it was his getting ready for his inauguration as we drove out of town. And I just remember that, like, where are we going? Almost as if we were, were, were we driving off a cliff. Yeah. And we And... And it's so expensive in New York, right? Yeah. Oh, like, well, you lived in New like Jersey. 80, 89, we lived in, yeah. It was not that expensive then. And we lived yeah. in New Jersey. I didn't have the wits about me to, to live in the city. The city, yeah. Um, and, uh, and by then I had started dating another man who ended up becoming my husband. Uh-huh. Um, so that led to a lot of great things as well. So that, okay. So that, so how, so you moved up to, to Jersey, New York. You're working for NBC. What was the job then that you did I for was them? manager of corporate communications. Mm, okay. And, um, it was um, an interesting job, but it was uh, not my favorite job because I worked for a real jerk. I mm. mean, like world class in my definition. I mean, maybe other people work from thought differently. But um, so it was one of those jobs where the team is kind of the team against the boss, which not always such a good thing. But we bonded because he was one of these bosses that sat in his office, closed the door all the time, didn't talk to us. And um, I took it upon myself once to write up a whole, like, here's a way to make things better. And he was kind of like, what do you know? And so I promptly decided it was time to leave mm-hmm. and uh, left and went to Turner CNN after that. Yeah, it's a t- I mean, you you chose to be in the, I'll call it entertainment news business yeah. at a time where, you know, now we're seeing, you know, with whether it's Harvey Weinstein or, you know, Fox, you just, you know, the movie, there's so much now coming out about just what's been happening and how difficult it was. Not that everybody had to go through something, you know, as, as traumatic as some of the women did, but I, I would imagine that doesn't matter who, when, when it was or who was your boss, that there was certain amount of misogyny and and difficulty in that industry for women at that time. Well, I think it was in this case, the, he was a tough boss to everybody. But yeah, I mean, I I remember early working back when I was in the news bureau, um, the one of the leadership guys of the news division of the new, local news bureau. Finally, he used to have this thing, he'd take everybody to lunch, and I was t- too much of a peon to get invited. And one time he invited me, I was like, wow. I'm and I go, and it turns out he's trying to fix me up with some oh, executive who was visiting, and he's like, hey, Bill here is going to drive you home. And, you know, mm. like, mm, no, it's not going to work that way. So, you know, you get things like that. And at the time, I think, you know, kind of shock and naive. 
But it was a different time. Right. It was and a you, little acceptance. You, yeah. you just, you're like, I can't believe that, but I got to, you know, move on. Move on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I look back and I, I sometimes wonder, what was I thinking? I don't really remember that. I, I think, I think all of us who were, you know, women in business in largely male-dominated industries think back now as we think about, you know, our children and what they're dealing with. Yeah. But. I, you know, I have multiple auto business. There's a lot of that, right? It just, it was, it just was. Yeah, you the auto business, I mean, you must have a lot of stories as well. I yeah. think, you know, I think we all did, but it's just, it was the same sort of thing. Like it was a, how dare they? And you would talk about it, but it was, what are you going to do about it? Yeah, like, you know what, what I mean? You, you can be, it? you can be kind of pissed off and like just, you know, or go run to HR or you just, nothing's going to happen yeah. except for you're going to lose your job. And so you may as well just, and it's, you know, it's, um, it's, it's great to see what's happening today. But so, so you, you left, you got out of from underneath that guy. I'm so curious as to how you go from, I mean, you know, where you ended up sort of running this the whole business and you were starting sort of in the news industry and the bureau and the yeah. communications. How did that, I mean, it makes sense for marketing, but. Yeah, no, so I went to CNN, ended up going to CBS, then back to NBC. I came back to NBC at a critical time, you know, the world of fake news today. This was the fake news of the, the first generation of fake news when the news division had been. Had fake al- news 1.0. Yeah, yeah, at 1.0 had almost been closed because they had faked a news story, put rockets oh. in a General Motors truck. I don't know oh, if you were in the industry at that time, but. Um, but I, it was my entrepreneurial awakening. So yeah. I came back from CBS to work at NBC, leading communications for NBC News. And it was an amazing time. I mean, out of the ashes, we rose. Mm-hmm. And we had an amazing team. Andy Lack was this amazing news director at the time. We, could, any, we had nowhere to go but up. And he allowed us to be very free. And there was no distinction at that, in his mind, at least, between the journalists and the PR people. So we were a very scrappy entrepreneurial team. And I think for me, that was the awakening that I can be in, I can fight for better and be whatever. I didn't think of it as an entrepreneur then in an established company. And then I got on the GE radar from there and did a couple of other jobs at NBC. And then after that, they brought me to GE when Jack Welch was still there. He brought me up to GE out of NBC. So that's, that's the long winded way of how I got there. But there... Jack is, I, I've had the pleasure of meeting Jack. He was tied in tightly with a lot of the auto guys and, you know, Yeah, they Fords were a big and, customer, yeah. a lot of G's businesses at a time. And Six Sigma. Yeah. I took the Six Sigma classes and Jack was a big, you know, so he came and spoke well, to did us. You, how, cert, how far did you get certified? Oh, I, I got the black belt. Oh, I did. did you? Oh, I yeah. only got the green belt. Woo. Oh, yeah. No, no, I did. For Why well, did that? Well, um, Ford kind of trained me along while I was, I was doing marketing communications yeah. for them and breaking down projects. It was a, but he, you know, he had a big... Big influence not just on GE but on industry. Yeah, Jack. So yeah. Six Sigma the, was the gospel. Oh my gosh! So he 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 was there. Did you work yeah. under him or yeah. with him? He um, I had gone to work for Bob Wright, who was leading NBC, doing head of communications out of news division, all of NBC, and I thought my whole career was going to be media. I loved media. That's what I had lived for. And I got a call to go up to Jack's office. He had an office in our in Thirty Rock as well. And not, I expected he was going to, he was saying, hey, we're going to sell NBC, you need to get a press release ready. And he's like, hey, I want you to come up and work with me. And I was not expecting it. Um, and it was one of those things I went back and the head of HR had said to me, you know, you can't say no. And I was like, I feel the same way. I don't know why. I really, I went to GE meetings, but I didn't really, I didn't know that much mm-hmm. about them. And I remember as I was leaving, 
one of my colleagues, is, I remember standing at the elevator, and he came up and he said, you know they sell light bulbs, right? Why are you doing this? And I couldn't explain it. It just was a pull to me that I wanted to be part of something bigger and different and learn. What did he What did he want you to do? What did he... He was head of communications and advertising, okay. and um, he, was, he knew he had announced he was going to be stepping down in four or five years. So that had been announced. And he wanted somebody to help orchestrate um, his ru- his rundown, his succession. Um, you know, and ended up. I feel like in the end, we ended up being like sta- stage manager for this world watching succession. That you know, all eyes on business at the time were on that. Yeah. So it well, was a crazy four years working there. And he was. I mean, and your job was double duty because in addition to trying to to do your job for GE, Jack in and of himself mm-hmm. was his own brand. Right. And that was a lot of, I think, one of the reasons why perhaps I appealed to him, I um, because he had seen the work we had done at NBC. Mm-hmm. I think uh, more of a recognition of him as a brand. Um, mm-hmm. I have kind of mixed feelings about that. I was all in. And Jack was an amazing leader on so many levels. Um, he was right for the time. But we did get a bit too carried away about him Mm. as the brand Um, so that when he left and when Jeff Immelt took over and the job for Jeff and the Mm -hmm. team that I was part of was a lot harder. Yeah, I'm sure. How do you define what you are when when the you know the the guy has left the building? Right, when you've interlocked the fortunes of the the two so tightly together, right? Exactly. And I think I knew that, but you just get caught up in the moment, and you're like, you know, we'll figure just it keep out. going, and right. we're we're all in on this. Um, yeah. And I even remember inside the company there were people who were like, you know, do you think this is wise? And I was probably pretty dismissive about it, and they they were right mm-hmm. to ask that, and I should have asked that. Yeah, well, you so you, so Jack ended up obviously retiring, and Jeff, you know, in comes Jeff. How did how did things change? How did your your role changed. I mean, I know how, you, but talk, talk to me about that path. Well, I was leading advertising and communications. Jeff takes over. Um, he, I don't think one, I don't think he appreciated how much communications was going to be part of his job. I mean, you know this, mm-hmm. every CEO doesn't realize already with Jack and then with, you know, Jeff, there was a ha- habit, a practice of them being very engaged in the advertising. Mm-hmm. That was important. So that was good. But I think there were a couple of pivotal moments with Jeff. Um, it was asking that question, who are we now? Mm-hmm. Now that the Sun Kings left the building, who are we? What is GE? And Jeff had a very clear vision. He wanted to be about innovation, about customer, about global. How do we get there? And so I remember I brought in, uh, I just started doing some different things and had been done. I brought in like a crazy cultural anthropologist to do a serve, a, a, a deep dive research project. And he was, we, the process was weird. And in a G context, he might have been a little weird. And I think Jeff liked that. He yeah. saw that the team I was part of, we were willing to try things, take risks. Mm-hmm. And he had grown up in sales and marketing. And I think in some ways, we reminded him of people Those he had things. worked with. And he was like, I want more of that. A solid so, appreciation. So that, from yeah. there, you know, after about a year or so, he's like, hey, we're going to have you be chief marketing officer. So that really, that championship helped me tremendously. And I mean, hopefully I helped the company, yeah. but that was really important for him to recognize that and give me some air cover. But then you were made vice chair. And I remember just cheering from the sidelines, like for many reasons, right? One, I knew you, but a woman is being put there. They're recognizing somebody in the marketing role at a quintessentially, you know, manufacturing 
you know, behemoth to come and help to be part of that leadership. How, what was, I'm, I'm just so curious what those moments, what that moment was like and how you felt and yeah, well, how that would have been you. about 15 years after the CMO role. So there was a lot of time in between yeah. there. I went to, went back to NBC, came back, but um, it felt great and scary for all the reasons you said. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, for me, what I liked about it was it was a recognition of difference. You know, I hear after all these years, I was the first yeah. woman. Frankly, I shouldn't have been the first woman to have right. that role. There were a lot of qualified women earlier. Um, and it was about being a marketer. It was about having a different, being an innovator um, and all kinds of things. So I felt proud to represent that kind of difference in the company that hadn't had much of that, and yeah. certainly when it came to vice chair role. And Jeff had been a really great champion for difference. He had pushed the company to be global. A lot more women went to leadership roles under his under his tenure. So it felt natural. And, yeah. um, you know, he named a lot of women leading businesses at GE. And how how did your, how was it, I mean, you were obviously, the, I actually was surprised you when you said 15 years you're in that role. Just, I guess it goes by like yeah. that. When we've been yeah. in the business, it seems like it was almost yeah, maybe like five, it was six more, years. Yeah, but. yeah I, was, I think I got the CMO role in 2003 and I got the, um, the vice chair role in like 2006. Uh, 15 or 16. So. Okay, so 12, but still, yeah, it, it seems years. shorter yeah. than that to me, but yeah. how how was you, I mean, you, you got married again in this yep. time frame, right? And you, did you had, have a, had a second daughter? You had a second yeah. daughter, right, okay. All while I was at, uh, in the media world. Right, in the yeah. media world. And how, so, you know, again, there were those of us, I was also the the you know the breadwinner and the, I, I have friends like that but we were much more of the exception than the rule mm-hmm. and so how how was it for you to try to balance that um with the kids with the big role yeah. that you had I, I don't know that I'm such a I, I I know I'm not a great role model in balance um mm-hmm. I'm really proud of my daughters they're both grown now they're very independent and amazing amazing husband but it you know I they had to deal with a stressed out mother who liked to work yeah. uh, and was ambitious and I think a lot of good things came out of the work I did for them, mm-hmm. but also they didn't always win. So a mm-hmm. lot of times work won. Mm-hmm. And you have to kind of get your head around that. And there are things you can do that you you can bring on yourself and things you just got to say, hey, this is the way it is. But I'll give you an example of things I could, you know, example. So my younger daughter, when we moved from New Jersey to Connecticut, I was like, to go GE, I was like, I'm only 15 minutes from work at home. Great news. I'm going to be able to come home and have lunch with you now. She yeah. was going into first grade. And then when we move, <clears throat> excuse me, 12 years later, move to the city. She's at college. And I, we're selling the house. She, she loved that house. And she was like, oh, so now I guess it means I, I won't be able to have lunch with you. <laughs> and she, and you know, she was right. Like, yeah. how hard? I, why, one, why did I commit to that right. if I wasn't going to do it? Right. Why didn't I go home for lunch when I did I really need to show yeah. my face at lunch every day? No. Right. So I think I could have done a lot better job of setting boundaries, of understanding the what's important, urgent, all that kind of thing. And you get caught up in the moment. And so those things, you can't take them back. It is what it is. I, I think my daughter saw in me some, I, they're very independent. I feel seeing me work, all that influenced them. They saw a lot. But there are those moments that you're like, oh, you know, I, I, I could have done better. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, I think it's important that you say that because people say the same thing. And you do. You say, job becomes. And, you know, I've just started a new job. And 
they don't see me very much anymore, yeah. but they know. And so thank Do you God. communicate to your kids like, here's what I'm doing. I yeah. like what I'm doing. Yeah, absolutely. And they, you know, we talk about it. And, you know, my new job with Party City is something they can get their heads around. And now I get texts from my son. I'm at parties. I get That's complaints. Mystery shopper. You know, I was like, no, no, I know. That's why mommy has a job. You know, <laughs> so, oh, no. yeah, we're working on it. We're working on it. So um, but it's but they they get that. And actually, the digital age had we. When they were young, had we had this to be able to text with the kids? Yeah, and exactly. I think they're so used. That's that's how they keep in touch with lots of people. So yeah. it doesn't feel secondhand to them. It feels like the primary way that they talk to everybody. Um, so I, I I think that if I going back today, maybe you would feel as well. It, we would have been able to be, be more better. connected. Right. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then the travel, the FaceTime and all kinds right. of things like that. And right. I think I could have, I, I, my girls knew I liked what I did. They knew it, it was important to me. It was mm-hmm. important to the family. Uh, my husband was good at that. He'd often run interference and say, you know, calm down. You know, your mom likes what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And so he was very helpful on that. But I could have exposed them to even more and not just, you know, take him to the holiday events or whatever I'll tell you one of the colleagues I had toward the end of my time at GE she was amazing I love this woman and um, Kate Johnson who's now uh, head of sales at Microsoft and Mm. she used to bring her kids to work a lot not just like take your kids to work day you'd come in and there was her daughter Zoe in a meeting and it was delightful I mean she wouldn't bring her to a board meeting or something but you know it was it was a way to one her kids got to see her at work yeah. And work got to see her as a mom. Mm-hmm. And it was she was very comfortable with that where it was appropriate. And I right. thought, you know, I should have done more of that. You yeah. know, there another woman I worked with who was leading a couple of big divisions at GE. She had a very strict rule of, of boundaries. You can't call me on the weekends. I mean, if, if the place is on fire, call me. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I'm not going to email you. You don't email me. And she was very good in boundaries. And, you know, again, those kinds of things like you can do that. Right. And maybe she could do it because she was the head of a division, mm-hmm. but you can set small boundaries, and I could have done more of that. Yeah, I I've never done that either. <laughs> you know, you think about it. Yeah, we could have because uh, you get you get in yeah, to the course. momentum of it, right? And you're all in. And well, and then work becomes your family too, yeah, and you've got to exactly. give everybody a little bit of yourself. Yeah. You know, those people depend on you, and right. you know, you get that feeling for it. So, kind of thinking about that, and work is your family, and you've got all these people, and now you've been at the company for. Decades, yeah, and you've decades. been in this, you know, leading role and vice chair. Okay, so talk about the the end of the GE days and how that happened and how it felt, because I think it's obviously it's a big talk about a holy shit moment in your life. Yeah. But how that what how that went down, how you felt about it? Yeah, so I left GE at the end of 2017. It was sooner than I expected, although I knew I'd be leaving at some point. I mean, it was just the natural evolution. The vice chair role was a bit of a kind of a recognition, you kind of done what you're going to do here. Mm-hmm. And I knew Jeff Emmett was going to be leaving and there had been a succession in place. So all that was knowing. I'd started yeah. working on my book. Um, but I thought I had a couple more years. And then um, knew that we get an activist investor and um, Jeff leaves more quickly than the plan and certainly more unexpectedly than any of us thought. And the new guy says, hey, we don't have any place for you. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm done. Yeah. And um, as much, I remember just being like, I can't believe it. You know, it's sort of the finality of it. And a couple of things. I mean, I'm such a person of change, but I'm a big believer. You know, you only like change when you're leading it. Right. And if it happens to you and you don't have a say, you hate it. Right. 
And so I was reminded of that in that moment. I remember my husband saying, you know, I was, I was upset about it. And he's like, yeah, but you couldn't wait. To, you were done. You said mm-hmm. you were done. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I kind of was, but I wanted <laughs> On to. On my terms, And, and right? also yeah. that sense of I was very loyal to the company. I wanted to help. It was having a tough time. And so the finality of it, it was it was tough. More abrupt. Yeah. More abrupt than I expected. Um, but those things happen. Yeah. How did, and I would imagine the feeling, well, I have imagined I've been, you know, that feeling of ending, you suddenly go from this 24-7 over decades to like, okay, now there's there's nothing there. And you don't necessarily, because it happened quicker than you thought, you don't have sort of that game plan of what's next. I mean, yeah, at least you had your book that you were in progress of, but... How, how were those first few months after? Were you restless? I mean, how did that manifest? Well, luckily I did have the book, which ended up being a huge project. And so I, I probably drove my co-writer more crazy because now you had I all now, your time. hey, guess what? <laughs> um, but I, I mean, it took, takes a while to get into a new rhythm. You, mm-hmm. you, you, I remember the first few months, I, it was probably this time of year, and uh, sitting at my desk, my husband walks by me and home in my desk, and he's like, what are you doing? I had this big to-do list I had, like, I had taken out my markers uh-huh. and I had written an art all around it to do. And yeah. it's like, what do you have to do? <laughs> right. And it was, you're right. What do I have to do? Right. Yeah. You know, and I was sort of following the same routines and trying to get into the same rhythm. And so things like that, you, you have to establish new routines and new habits. Yeah. And um, I think the book was very cathartic and good. But if I could have, in hindsight, I might have taken a bit of a breather and then jumped into the book. Mm-hmm. I just think it, 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 I would have had a chance to reflect more. But being who you are, being who we are, you know, you that's the idea of st- like, no, no, no. no we just got to exactly. must, must keep going. Just jump right, right into right, this. Right. Yeah. There's no time for yeah. that, right? There's time later. Because time to reflect, I mean, it's the blank canvas. It's all these things we say we like as creative people, but they're also very scary. Frightening, yeah. Now I have to do this, Right. right? And growing up in media, I mean, if you if you don't make it, make it to air, it's dark dark space, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're dead. And so, always used Hurt. to, yeah, doing something. Yeah, the next thing. Yeah. So you've spent the last two years with with your book, right? Basically sharing it, going around the world. Mm-hmm. What's that experience been like? It's been great. I mean, on one hand, it's been very cathartic and reflective, and um, I have distance from the experience. I, um, it's less about a GE conversation, although I inevitably get the what the hell happened to GE, yeah. but, you know, those kinds of questions. And I, I don't blame people for asking, but I really talk about change. Um, I almost called my book uh, Permission Granted as opposed to Imagine It Forward, but this idea of agency and giving yourself permission. And I especially target it for people in the middle of the company, middle of their career. And, you know, there's so much is expected of people at that stage. And yet... Yeah. So little is granted in terms of either permission, tools, mm-hmm. encouragement. So it's been good to connect and to see that there is this group of people who are hungry for, for new ways of doing it. And so that's been nice to connect and also to connect with some business leaders in different industries and realize, one, people are people, right? right. We, you know, auto, awesome. aviation, healthcare, we're right. all uh, people. And they we all have the same challenges in business. And right now, everybody's just crazy with the pace of change, the complexity of the world. And so some of the things I feel like I learned from just hard knocks, they're relevant. And mm-hmm. so they're kind of timeless. And so it's been nice to be able to connect on that yeah. front. With with the, um, 
I'm just curious just about the Imagine It Forward. What what prompted you to want to write? I mean, because you did this before. It wasn't like, oh, I'm done with GE now. Yeah. I got nothing to do. You'd started it. So yeah. you obviously, something was in you. Well, as I said, I, I knew I'd be wrapping up, <clears throat> excuse me, at GE in a couple years. But I taught a monthly class at GE at our, at our learning center. Uh. Uh, for early managers, and I love this. I love this. It was just, it was just so great because they would challenge me. I'd challenge them. But I started to notice this theme, um, where they would always have talk about wanting to innovate and ask me for case studies and what I had learned. But they'd often like I'd say, "What are you doing?" Oh, I can't do that. I, I just can't. My boss won't let me. We don't have enough budget. You don't know my manager. My manager. And I go, well, did you ask? Mm-hmm. Like, no, but you just don't know. And I just started to see this permission mm. granted kind of notion. And so I came up with this hokey thing. I created permission slips. And I would challenge the team. I'd be tell them stories. Here's times when I pushed myself and I'm a shy person. I'm an introvert. I'm a lot of those things. And I pushed myself to do something I didn't feel good with. And I shared the outcome. And I'd say, now, what are you going to do? And I literally would pass out these permission slips. You know, half the class would rip them off like this is so goofy. But the other half, uh, you know, 40 percent, they would follow up with me afterwards. And they'd tell me stories of what they did. And then I started keeping a stack on my desk. And when people, you know, would say that, I'd hand them out. So it just became, hey, there's a way to capture some of my mistakes and my learnings and try to offer it to people who are looking for that encouragement right now. So that's how the book was born. It's, it's funny because as you're talking, I just have memories of you talking about your mother and how she loved teaching. Yeah. And like she just couldn't. And like the and it's sort of obviously that was somewhere in you because the way that you're talking about it is very sounds very similar to how you were describing your mother's yeah. fashion. Yeah, no, I come from a long line of educators, so there's yeah. probably something in the in the DNA there. Especially with the permission, yeah. so you hearken back to the exactly. things, right? Although I was too much of a good girl to ever forge Needed my mother's ver- <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> you wouldn't have missed the school. I've made up for it since yes, then. Yes, right. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, thank you so much for coming and Thanks, being Julie. a guest for good me. Good luck with everything. I'm glad you're doing this, and you bring such this great is... energy to it. So I... party on. Yeah, right? Woo! Start the party. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Julie. Beth. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.